This is an Urbanarium City Talk. And this is Should I Stay or Should I Go? A show about Metro Vancouver's housing crisis. I'm Jenny Tan, just a regular person trying to make it in Metro Vancouver. On the podcast, I work out if I should stay living in my camping trailer or go somewhere else where I can afford to live. We acknowledge that Metro Vancouver is the unsurrendered traditional territory of many First Nations, including 10 local nations. The modern housing crisis has its roots in the colonization of Metro Vancouver and continues to displace Indigenous peoples. On today's show, the classic question, should you rent or should you buy? Heather Tremaine, CEO of one of Canada's largest nonprofit developers, gives us her take. Heather, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Heather, can we do that thing where you tell me a little bit about yourself? And here's a question we ask everyone, which is, what kind of home do you live in? Okay, so I can start with my housing. I I do own a house in Toronto. It's a townhouse in a heritage area that is close to the core and uh, I am a self-described Hauser, if you will. It's a term that they used to use in the 30s in the States. And it's people who work on housing and, you know, I think fundamentally be- believe in the power of housing to help improve people's lives. So I do that in as a nonprofit developer here in Toronto, building affordable homeownership units. And if you're going to do that LinkedIn blurb, Heather, you're the CEO of Options for Homes. Yes, I am. That's my day job. <laughs> if you can give a very brief summary of like, what do you see as the things causing this housing crisis? Yeah, that's a big one. I think there are a number of things that are causing the housing crisis. I mean, real estate for a lot of people is a really good investment. So we've seen a lot of people, you know, mom and pop uh, sort of investors that have moved into this space. You know, over the last number of years, it's, it is, it has quite good returns. And I think what we've also seen is, you know, people who've done well in, you know, maybe a few years ago have taken equity out of their homes and are buying other places. There are just a lot of investors now in the marketplace, even at a very small scale that's had a big impact. So it's people who've built equity in real estate now uh, being really competitive in the bid for their next house, uh, which which is really hard then for a first-time home buyer who doesn't have equity because um, it's just pushing the pricing up higher. And we also have the problem in a lot of areas in the housing market, the overall housing continuum, that we haven't built enough supply. And I want to relate this to like something that you and I talked about a month ago, the first time we hopped on the phone with each other. And you're talking about like this idea of renting versus buying. I was really excited to have this chat with you because I think it's such a big question. Should we keep renting or should we keep buying? I think there's a lot of opinions now where you should just keep renting, but you actually have a different opinion. Can you flesh that out for me? I mean, I think buying is still a good option on the assumption that you can you can manage it. So I think you have to be careful about what you're borrowing mm-hmm. so that you're not in a tenuous financial position. Mm-hmm. There's this common idea that 
what people do who rent is they'll save the difference that they would have spent in owning and mm-hmm. renting. And they'll put that into some kind of savings and put it into the market, mm-hmm. you know, the stock market mm-hmm. or whatever, some other kind mm-hmm. of investment mm-hmm. so that they can build some mm-hmm. kind of financial nest egg for mm-hmm. their later years. That's a tough reality because rents are so expensive mm-hmm. that the capacity to save is really not there. Yeah. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, the fact that you have to pay a mortgage every month yeah. or the bank's going to come along and take back your house is a good is a good uh, and strong motivator to pay down that mortgage. It's a savings mechanism. So I think that that still is a valid uh, reason. I think fundamentally, a lot of people purchase to help build, I would call it financial resilience for themselves, so that they can afford to fund their retirement years. People also want security of tenure. In places like Toronto and, and Vancouver, a significant portion of the rental stock is condos that are bought by an investor and rented. So in that case, you don't have the kind of security of tenure that you might in a purpose-built rental. Meaning you might get kicked out. The landlord might need it back for like, I don't know, like they they want their kids to move in or they want to sell it or whatever. Exactly, exactly. So those are the kinds of things, those are the kinds of reasons that we understand that people are wanting to purchase. Maybe I'm going to try and see it from like my, my personal experience here. So, okay. So I'm living in a trailer now. My rent is $300 a month. Right. I know, right? Like I have... You have a screaming deal. I have a screaming deal. But this trailer situation is not forever because I don't have, like you were saying, security or tenure. The house I'm parked at is owned by a development company. They want to sell the house. They've been trying to sell the house for years. So at some point, that that screaming deal is going to go. Um, and then my options are like, I can rent a room in a house for a thousand bucks, maybe get a, an apartment, a one-bedroom apartment for two thousand bucks. I can move back in with my parents. Okay, buying a home, one, I don't have the down payment. I can't put that 20% down payment. And also the mortgage is scary, right? If I lose my job, if anything happens, I'm in trouble. So people are like, okay, so we'll just rent. We'll just rent for life, right? Like all my friends are renting. But from our previous conversation, is they're saying actually, yes, like of course it's okay to rent, but it will have financial implications for me in the future when I'm trying to retire. Yeah. There's a huge difference between the net worth of a renter and an owner in Canada. It's a significant multiplier, you know, from the net worth of a renter to owner. And I think it is increasingly harder for renters to really build that nest egg for their later years. Trying to like put it in my my head again. My parents bought this house in Maple Ridge because they wanted to own a piece of land that they could then pass on to their kids. It's funny, it's almost like an inherent drive in me to buy something. But it's a scary thing to buy, right? Where the heck am I going to find a down payment? If I lose my job, how am I going to pay this mortgage? It's a big, scary thing. It seems like I had an outlet ball where I could rent. And now there's almost this new element that it's a great reminder, Heather, that if I don't buy, then I might run into trouble when I'm 65 and trying to retire. I'd love to retire earlier than 65. <laughs> <laughs> that or you have to make another plan. I think 
housing is has been that sort of short form for people that becomes a big part of their retirement plan. So if you don't have that, you need to make some other plan for yourself. Some people who know about housing policy say, like, look at Austria, like where lots of people rent. I respect that. And at the same time, I don't have a pension. There's a lot of people who don't have that pension. So that's where the, the housing tends to play in for them in a more significant role. If I kept renting and say if my parents didn't own a home, what would life look for me like at age of 65? I guess that depends on what else you're able to save. Yeah, like yeah. Right now you've got... Uh, as we said, a screaming deal on your housing. So yeah. if you save that yeah. delta yeah. for a period of time, you know, and you could save over the longer term and be kind of frugal and make good investments, then maybe you're in a good position. Okay. So, you know, in my earlier 20s, like I did not have great jobs. At one point, I worked as a journalist for a post media in rural Saskatchewan for like $13 an hour. And I worked many jobs like that through my early 20s. And then now I'm in a stage of my life, I'm very lucky to have a job that allows me to save. And so in my particular situation, if I keep earning what I'm earning now, which isn't buckets of cash, but if I keep saving what I'm saving now, I may be okay at 65. I'll keep renting, but I might get kicked out of places a bunch of times, have to find new places. It'll be a pain. It won't be the most stable life, but it'll be okay-ish. Like for many people who haven't landed a stable job, this is going to be much harder at 60 or 65. It is. Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of purchasers at Options who are new Canadians mm. because in some cases they have that real desire to to purchase in, in a new country. They might have come from a place where they owned and they really have a strong desire. Mm. And then we also have a lot of millennial purchasers mm. uh, or kind of younger purchasers. You know, the bigger question I ask myself is, multiple generations of Canadians. Like when you go back to post Second World War, this is probably when the real boom of ownership happened in Canada. Mm -hmm. For the last kind of, you know, 70 years, there's been this big push to create home ownership. Mm -hmm. And I do wonder what happens when generations going forward don't have that opportunity and can't build something for themselves. Because I think we've relied on home ownership in our bigger kind of financial system in the country. We've relied on that to help build financial resiliency for people. Now, if we take that away, what happens? That's a question that I ask myself a lot. Um, what do the retirement years look like and the later years look like of those people? And that's a big, I think in some ways, almost a bigger societal question we have to ask ourselves, you know, do we or do we bring back pensions to replace housing? Those are the, I think, bigger uh, sort of societal questions we need to ask ourselves. Because when you talk about Austria, Austria does have reasonable pension pr plans. You know, there's bigger state pensions there. Um, a lot of people rent there. But a lot of the housing has been around for a long time. Much of it is state-owned, and so the rents are by nature lower than what mm. we're, we would find uh, in our marketplaces mm -hmm. uh, because the buildings have probably been paid off at this point. And I think people sometimes look at 
the Canadian system and compare it to the Austrian system, but they're not looking at the whole and all of the, the pieces that fit together in that system. You're saying that the system that we're kind of taking for granted, this is how home ownership works and financial system works. This is just a very North American thing. Yeah, yeah. Then they place emphasis on different things. In, you know, a lot of Europe, there's a bigger emphasis on the social social safety net systems, bigger pension plans, like higher levels of state support in terms of the basic pensions that people would receive. As I said, like housing is one part of a system. You know, social safety nets are another piece. They have to be seen as a whole, really. So I moved here when I was 11 from Singapore. We stayed in on like for three months in a ground level suite in Burnaby. We rented from the landlord. And then we moved to a basement level suite in Vancouver. We rented there. And then we bought a little duplex in Coquitlam. And then afterwards, my parents were like, okay, but we want financial security for our kids. And now they bought this home in Maple Ridge. And I'm kind of banking on it. I can always live with my parents. I think in the back of my head, I know. Like, I'm never going to get kicked out. But <laughs> You'd have to well, be really bad to get kicked out. <laughs> I have to be pretty bad to get kicked out. And then I'm trying to imagine, like, if my parents didn't have that home, we'd all be pretty worried right now. Yeah, yeah. And depending where you're living, you might be susceptible to increases in rent. This is where people to gravitate towards ownership if they can do it is to give themselves that security. They know what their mortgage payment's going to be and they know they can manage that versus like rent, which could be more precarious. And I guess the other thing I want to add on that is like my parents moved here in their 40s, but it's kind of hard, right, to find good jobs as professionals in their 40s, don't speak English as their first language kind of thing, you know, the security of needing an income to come in. And like that would have been hard for my family, right? Like would have been kept all of us up at night. Tell me more about options, like Heather. Like options is a non-profit developer. You do something about the down payment model. Tell me about the down payment model. Yeah. Okay. So we are uh, we act in many ways like a conventional developer. Mm. So we go and find land. We we take a site through the municipal approval process. We contract with a builder. We get the financing together to build the building. So that's all developer stuff. And then we market our units to people who can't get a conventional down payment. Our purchasers put down 5% of the value of the unit. Mm -hmm. And then we lend them what would conventionally be the profit. If we were a for-profit developer, uh, that would be our profit. And we say, rather than paying us that now, you can pay us that when you sell the unit. Mm -hmm. So we take the purchasers 5% and we add usually between 10 and 15%. So they now have a 20% down payment, which mm -hmm. qualifies them for a conventional mortgage. And what's great in the city of Toronto is we partner with the city and they will add to that down payment support hmm. and, you know, increase it oftentimes by, you know, $50,000. So we're really kind of getting people into a position where the qualifying income is lower and the monthly carrying costs are lower than they would be otherwise. 
So, I mean, this is a huge help because like a down payment in Vancouver is scary. It is a big pile of change. If you and your partner wanted to buy, you got, both got to have rich parents or something. Okay, so you're saying that you're taking away a lot of that stress by having folks only pay 5%. Like it's still cash, right? They got to be able to come out with 5%. It's not for like everyone. It's not for everybody, no, for sure. It's for a segment that has some savings already. They have, you know, they've got a good job. They've got steady income. There was recently a study that was put out by CIBC that said, you know, there were $10 billion was provided by parents to children last Mm -hmm. year to help them get into the Mm -hmm. housing market. Mm -hmm. So to your point, you know, if you don't have wealthy parents, then this is an opportunity. Groups like options create mm-hmm. that opportunity for you because <laughs> you can be the rich parent. Yeah, we're like, I think of us as the nice auntie or uncle. That's how I think of us. I think the point that you've also made is that houses are, homes are intergenerational wealth mechanisms, if you will. To me, there's a kind of systemic inequality to that. There was just a report in the Globe and Mail talking about the really low rates of home ownership in the Black communities in, mm. in Canada. And my guess is it would be because the parents haven't owned. So that sort of opportunity, maybe some down payment support, hasn't come from the parent. There's a lot of pieces to housing and a lot of pieces to about equality and equity that I think we we need to think about now more than ever. Heather, if you were empress of the world, you know, what would you do to solve Vancouver's housing crisis and Toronto's housing crisis? One thing I would do is I would amp up supply. Amping up supply, you say like build more homes. Build more homes. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's the probably smarter way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you would build those homes. Okay. Because I think one of the issues is we don't have enough supply. We have been underbuilding for a long time. I think I would recreate more entities like us that are nonprofits mm-hmm. that can partner and bring together a diverse group of stakeholders to help build a down payment for people. Mm. I think more municipalities could get on board here. I could even imagine companies getting on board and saying, we want to help build something for our employees. If I had the you know magic fairy dust, I would make people more collaborative at different levels of government, the private sector, uh, because I think there are solutions here. It's a bit more innovation, a bit more willingness to maybe take a little bit of risk. To add to that, you know, many of us, you know, are not CEOs of nonprofit development companies. Do you have any advice for the average person? My advice for the average person would be, if this is an issue for you, then I think it's helpful to to make your voice heard. I think a lot of Canadians, until really recently, they haven't been talking to the politicians and saying, holding their feet to the fire to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. Um, What we're seeing in the housing market is that there's a lot of emphasis on rental, Mm -hmm. but what we have also seen is that there's this growing gap of people who, you know, maybe even five or six years ago could have gotten into the market, Mm -hmm. but can no longer get into the market on their own without help of a parent or someone else. In some ways, as Canadians, I think we're being a bit nice about it. People need to raise their voices to kind of help put some pressure on the situation to help find solutions. 
So maybe this leads nicely to our last question, Heather, which is a question I ask everyone, which is lay on your life advice for me. If you were me, would you stay or would you go? I wonder, the things that I think about are, you know, housing is one part of your life. There's also, you know, your social network and your social connections. And in my mind, those are really important. Just leaving for the sake of a new, for housing somewhere else strikes me like it's, uh, you might be undercutting some other parts of your life. I think the idea that people are just going to step into a single family house as their first purchase, for most people, that ship has sailed unless you have parents mm-hmm. who can help you. So I think now more than ever, you have to be willing to be a bit creative. I don't know. Funny. What do you think about that? <laughs> it's hard, right? Part of me doesn't want to get creative about housing. I've gotten creative about housing for a long time. I'm kind of tired about being creative about housing, to be honest. I don't think it's entitlement, but I think that I and my friends and people in my age group and, you know, deserve to not have to be creative about housing. My family's here and I have a great support network here in Vancouver. My friends, you know, people are not disposable. I don't know. It's hard. I do think we've almost lived in this sort of golden age where a lot of people have had opportunities to own. I think the challenge is that we're kind of leaving this golden halcyon era in a certain way and maybe going back to some ways that we used to live mm-hmm. in some cases. I do wonder about that, that we just sort of had this these glory days of housing that uh, don't look like they're going to continue. <laughs> yeah, we play like we play Mario. Mario goes along, and then Mario eats the mushroom, and then you get become a super sized Mario. And then after a while, like you become normal sized Mario again. My analogy is like we've been in super sized Mario stage for a little bit, and then now we're just going back normal sized Mario. I mean, I'm trying to step into your shoes. Let's say you move in with your family, and you have you know the connections to your family, siblings if you have them. There's actually something incredibly rich about that in many ways. I do wonder, yeah, like if we, it's not supersized Mario, it's Mario. And maybe Mario is actually pretty good too. <laughs> I think that's a good spot, spot to leave it, Heather. And Heather, this has been so great. Thank yeah, you so much. It's been lovely to talk to you. I've really enjoyed it. I'm curious to hear what you do decide. <laughs> And now, let's break down those ideas with architect Bruce Hayden. All right, Bruce, that was Heather. What do we think? I've known Heather for a long time. I'm a big fan. You know, the thing is, after getting off the Zoom with her, the first thing I wanted to do is go run out and buy a house. Just let me get at it. Let me get at it now. Um, Because this is a really convincing argument, right? Buy... Or if you don't buy, she didn't use these words, but almost pay the consequences when you're older, when you can't afford to finance a retirement. It's scary. We had a conversation with her about Austria, where Austria, they have really strong public pensions, which means that for people to not buy and to rent for a long time, they still have that overall umbrella of financial security, which is not something that we have as strong in Canada. I had a pension for six months, Bruce. It was such a wonderful thing. And now I no longer have a pension. It's very common that people don't have pensions anymore. So I think the other thing that I, like, really struck me was this idea of creativity. Remember when she said, you know, maybe it's time to be creative about housing? And, you know, Heather, I like you. I really like you. And I was like, no, I don't want to be creative 
I'm tired of being creative. It shouldn't be so hard to find a place to live. I think of the a single mother who's trying to get her kids out the door to school every day and is struggling with that, that kind of person just doesn't necessarily have any bandwidth for creativity. So we have to think about it from that perspective. You gotta be pretty creative to get your kids out the door to go to school every morning. <laughs> you kind of use up your creativity on that. Well, uh, speaking personally with getting my kids out the door, I certainly, I, I don't know if I use up my creativity, I certainly use up my emotional energy. Intergenerational equality, equity. Friends of mine with parents who own homes can then buy their home because they get support from either one side or both sides if they have partners. And then it sort of goes down the line, right? And maybe your progeny then can buy more homes and you sort of add homes to the family stockpile. And versus, you know, I have friends who moved here without family support. They're not buying a home and their progeny are probably not going to be able to afford to buy a home. And I think that's something that we have to be really conscious of. I think we are seeing ramifications of it already. It's a very specific aspect of the broader issue of income and wealth inequality that I think is causing enormous structural problems. That's for another podcast. But you know, Heather talked about this very specific issue of finding ways for people that don't have external supports like family to get into a down payment which I thought was a very interesting specific opportunity that, that we don't talk enough about. Because otherwise what will happen is we'll just get rich parents who have rich kids, who have richer kids and richer kids. And that's not good for anybody. We think it's even good for them. It's not even good for them. When we talk about practical solutions to housing crisis, maybe I don't know if this is actually a good idea, but here's my plug. Maybe we bring in an organization like Options you know, in Metro Vancouver. The other really big piece I want to talk about is this idea of change within a system and change outside, changing the system itself. Because I think we often mix up these solutions to housing problem. Because Heather is working within the system, right? She's not trying to change the system in a grand way in that. She's not trying to change our North American financial system so that people have some other way to support themselves when they retire. She's helping folks within the system, helping them get real estate so that when they retire, they got a nest egg they can rely on. So I think we have to be thoughtful about that too. Are we changing the system or are we changing inside the system? And to what extent do we want to do which portion? I think that's a great way to end as well. That was Heather Tremaine, CEO of one of Canada's largest nonprofit developers, Options for Homes. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Make sure to hit subscribe so you know when we drop our next episode. And tell us what you think. Email us at citytalk at urbanarium.org. That's citytalk at urbanarium.org. I read every email. And thanks so much to our editorial advisor, Urbanarium board member and processing buddy, Bruce Hayden. Our production team is self-hired. Special thanks to Suman Candola. The music was composed by Yu Tae Lee. Will Jackson designed our podcast art. I'm Jenny Tan, and you're listening to Should I Stay or Should I Go? Ciao!